computers are going to be able to start seeing the world around us, understanding speech, understanding audio, visual, image to the point where they will develop a human cognition like capabilities. Inspired Execution, hosted by Datastack's chairman and CEO, Chet Kapoor, follows the journeys of leaders from the world's largest enterprises and fastest growing startups. Abe Parasnis, CTO and CPO at Adobe, has always had a deep passion for technologies and products. He's worked at many large enterprises like IBM, Microsoft, and Oracle. What drew Abe to Adobe six years ago was the fact that he's a passionate user of their products. In today's episode, he and Chet Kapoor discuss how to build technologies that allow everyone to express themselves, three lessons learned from moving to the cloud, the impact AI will have on computing in 10 years, and why it's important to adopt a beginner's mind. Abai, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jade. Good to be here. You have worked at many companies like IBM, Microsoft, Oracle. You have 25 patents, and now you're the CTO and Chief Product Officer at Adobe. Tell us about your journey. Well, first of all, Chet, uh, glad uh, to kind of reconnect. Uh, you and I haven't had a chance to uh, chat for a while, so I'm happy to connect at least in this forum. And thanks for inviting me here. You know, these journey type questions and Chet, I think your journey is probably more impressive. So one of these days we need to get you to reverse the roles. But as you very well know, sometimes these journey questions are, maybe they sound when somebody answers to be a little bit more well-scripted, thought-through journey. And in reality, at least in my case, I would say it's a it's a series of unplanned things that worked out well when I didn't expect them and the decisions I thought were the brilliant decisions I had taken with a lot of thought ended up being pretty bad. And so uh, I don't know if I would even say it's a super well-defined journey, but when I started uh, as an engineer, uh, really that's my career, common thread has been deep passion for technology and products and building uh, new things. Uh, Sometimes ended up being interesting, sometimes not. Started at IBM. In fact, rarely worked at IBM. So this is the first job itself. I joined IBM, but was immediately loaned to work on a project uh, that became Java. Um, and so that was a pretty fortunate, lucky break where I got a chance to work with some amazing people, uh, what became Java version one. From there, met some folks who recruited me to go to a startup uh, in supply chain space uh, back in the 90s, a company called i2. It was a wild ride uh, in a matter of four years, company that kind of grew from, and Chet, you being a person who has built things from scratch and taken them to scale, you will appreciate. It's a company that went from a few million in revenue to almost two billion in revenue in five years. So really wild ride, learned a lot, both on what to do, but as much on all the mistakes of scaling and how to avoid hopefully those mistakes. And then spent a decade at Microsoft, probably the best kind of 10 years of my professional journey in terms of the, not just the professional work, but the friendships I have made and just amazing uh, world-class people uh, I got a chance to kind of get to know and work with. Uh, And so that was up in Seattle a decade. Moved to Bay Area um, around 2012, did a brief stint at Oracle. And um, after a startup in mobile space, have been at Adobe now for the last six and a half years. So uh, but all through, I would say the only thing from a journey that's hopefully consistent is wanting to kind of work on exciting new uh, technology and product problems uh, and hopefully create something that hasn't been uh, in existence before. 
I love the way you started the conversation, right? The journey is not like a straight line and it, nice curves and things like that, right? It's all about zigzagging, right? The word that came to my mind was, you know, we all actually fumbled through this, right? Because some of the decisions we made that we thought were going to be really bad turned out to be really good. Um, and then some of the decisions we were so thoughtful about and we thought would be home runs, you know, were complete strikeouts, right? And we just fumbled through them, right? I love the way you, you talked about it. Java, as you well know, was a very important part of my career. And I, too, did more things to supply chain than any other company, I think, ever. You're right. It was awesome on how it scaled, but it was awesome how it burnt itself out as well, right? In, yeah. And it did well on both sides, right? Up and down. It did. And, you know, I mean, absolutely. And you're 100% correct. And I, I do think at the time it didn't feel like that. But the lessons you learned on both sides of the journey, by the way, on the way up, but actually equally as painful as it was on the way down. Um, and then the hope is the some of the talent that was accumulated at that time in that company. Uh, and I would say the same is true for Microsoft. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And those people have gone on to do amazing things in different industries and different roles. And, and so that's kind of the, the zigzag part of the journey that you mentioned is not just the choices you make, but hopefully the relationships you build. And then those people end up in such unbelievably exciting and different industries and roles. And then that's actually the more interesting part as I look back is all the people that you've built relationships with and where they are now uh, doing amazing things. I talk to a bunch of people outside data stacks and inside data stacks, and I say, you know what, you might or might not remember your bank balance, but what you will absolutely remember is, you know, who you were doing battle with, because those stories will live with you forever, right? And, you know, you will be able to relish those uh, whenever you want, right? And so it's clearly that's been an integral part of your journey and your success. Adobe's mission is to change the world to a digital experience. As you design this world, right, from a technology and a product point of view, tell us about what it looks like. Adobe is obviously, it's an exceptionally unique place. Uh, obviously, I'm not claiming to be uh, objective here necessarily at this point, but uh, I'll just say a couple of things. First, as you were just talking about kind of the previously kind of the relationships you build and the things you work on, at least for me, beyond just the commercial uh, kind of aspects of success, both at a company and individual level, the underlying mission or what you're trying to do, and not every company is like that, not every company has to have that. I certainly find it, if you can personally connect and if you can get a group of people really connected on underlying mission of what you're trying to do, Obviously, you still want to be highly successful as a business. We are ultimately a for-profit company. We like to be successful uh, on those metrics. But actually, what attracted me to Adobe was I was a lifelong user of Lightroom. A little bit Photoshop, but a lot more Lightroom. And so for me, actually, the biggest reason to join was, hey, I got to go work with people who actually create these tools that I use as a user and have so much fun and passion in using. And so... The two parts of the mission you talked about, for individual users that we serve, we really think about 
every decade or so, the technologies may change. I mean, the company, as you know, started really with print, uh, with PDF and PostScript, then really pioneered a lot of the desktop publishing, followed by all the Photoshop and imaging and video and illustration uh, kind of revolutions. Then with the web transition, really was at the forefront with Macromedia and Flash, as well as all the transitioning to web. And now certainly last 10 years or so with mobility and cloud and kind of the changes there. Our goal has always been whatever the notion of enabling users to tell their stories. And at a mostly deep human personal level, if we can build technologies that allows everyone on the planet to express themselves, that is really the mission. And obviously, we have served historically a lot more of the professional audience, uh, kind of the professional movie editors, uh, photographers, illustrators. What's exciting about where the company is now and where we are trying to go uh, is we call internally the mission now as creativity for all, which is really enabling every person. I mean, think about it. Our, I have a 15-year-old. If you think about our kids, the level of digital technology in their lives and how proficient, but also how integral it is to how they express themselves in every setting, in their schools, in their social lives. We want to be the company that really continues to push the state of the art uh, for individuals to express themselves in meaningful ways, no matter what the medium. So that's kind of individual. And then on the other side, for enterprises, large companies, we have a similar mission of letting them build best-in-class customer experiences in how they engage with their customers and users. And obviously, you know, you are a big partner for us in terms of we use, your, obviously, your uh, technology platform quite a bit as underlying one of the components. It is an exciting time right now as these businesses grow and kind of the mission becomes even more relevant. That is a beautiful way to talk about it, right? My exposure to Adobe was in the 80s, right? When Charlie and John were doing, you know, fonts, right, for Next. And they started out by doing it for the Mac. And if I can think about all the Adobe products I've used over the last 30 years, it is all about manifesting, you know, myself, right? And whether I'm a professional or whether I'm a casual user, right? It's also a massive vision, right? I mean, you can do this for another 100 years and continue to be on the forefront of technology. There's so much to do is my point, right? Would you agree? Absolutely. And I know this is not always the case uh, with every business and every product, but we do think it's a good guiding principle. I mean, the way the company started, you mentioned uh, John and Chuck, the two founders, John actually built Illustrator at the product because his wife, Marwa, actually, who is a creative artist, designer, illustrator, wanted to be able to express using digital tools and there was no tool available. And so it's always good if you have a genuine need that you know you want to solve for yourself. Uh, and hopefully that's a need that a lot of people around the planet will benefit from. Uh, that's always a good North Star to have. Is this a product you would love to use every single day? Uh, then that's probably a good idea to build it. Adobe has gone through a massive transformation over the last few years, and I would say probably done it more successfully than almost any other company in the industry, in the tech industry, right? You've gone from being an on-premise software company to being a cloud company, right? And everything that goes with it, right? The subscriptions and things like that, right? That's hard, that's really, really hard, not because of what the PNL does, but changing the mindset on how people build product and everything else that goes with it. In your experience, what was the hardest part 
And secondly, if you had to go back and do it again, what would you do differently? Both are great questions and at the risk of a little bit of a repeating, the previous discussion we had around the career journeys for individuals and zigzagging, I'm going to start by saying a lot of times these transformation type questions and when there is um, Harvard business kind of case study written and things have worked out well, sometimes these stories get played back as if they are a lot more cleaner and simpler. And and you know, Jet, they are far more messy and they're far more dead ends. And so first I would just say, uh, I'll, I'll share two or three lessons we learned. But in reality, it was a lot of experimentation, a lot of dead ends. And the line, we always say, the line between looking brilliant and looking like a complete idiot is very thin one in terms of how you execute and how it actually played out. This one happens to be one where the company fortunately was able to execute and successfully transform. That said, I would say the three kind of at least top of mind lessons, and this is not in any order. First, you have to recognize that you have multiple constituencies when you're trying to make a transformation like that. And for each constituency, you have to actually fine tune what that constituency deeply cares about and actually take them on that journey. And by that, I mean, first and foremost is your customers making sure your customers understand what you're trying to do, that you have ultimately their best interest in mind, even when they may not be asking for all the things. Uh, You might remember, Chet, not all of our customers early on were thrilled uh, with the transition to subscription. Some were very vocal and some never came along. Uh, I mean, there's a small constituents of customers who said that's just not the journey they wanted to go on. But we always said, look, we should always be transparent and forthright Uh, with our customers, what we are trying to do, the benefits that they will accrue to those customers. Uh, And if we were upfront and transparent uh, and communicated consistently, then they would go along that journey. And actually they did. Majority of the customers did. Second was employees. And I would say this one probably is the one we at the time may not have fully appreciated. Getting the entire company fully, fully aligned to basically burn the bridges, if you will, or just say there is a one-way street. We are going to go down this path. It's going to be hard. And as a culture, getting everyone to really think about this new direction, because as you know, in organizations, some people thrive on change uh, and some don't. And there are always people who will have different viewpoints. And so the cultural transformation of within the company was probably the single biggest hurdle and probably the single biggest thing Shantanu uh, and team and I can't I should have said I can't even take credit I shouldn't because I wasn't there for the full journey I was I've been there last six and a half years obviously this started uh, earlier than that but that cultural transformation for employees was equally crucial uh, and then last one is your shareholders I mean as, as kind of public company we had a fiduciary responsibility to our shareholders and kind of investors and telling them clearly when the message was not very pleasant that we are going to take a hit for four or five years, but then we are going to systematically rebuild the business was probably one of the hardest things to do, as you know, as a public company. Uh, But I think those were the three. Frankly, the technology transformation was not the hardest part. I mean, yes, it was a lot of work. And maybe, you know, Chet, as technologies, that to me was the easiest of the puzzles. The employee and customer journey was probably the hardest part. That's very well said. It seems like the transparency with customers and with employees was a critical part, right? If you can go back and say there was one thing that you did consistently across 
all three constituents you had, uh, customers, employees, and shareholders, you were very transparent. And, you know, this is the journey. We're on mile two of 14. This is going to be a long haul, but stay with us because we'll continue to show you the progress we're making. Is that a good way to look at it? Absolutely. And I think you said it really well. And by the way, when we did it, there were a lot of skeptics. There were people who said, for example, uh, we presented three-year financial targets very explicitly to the Wall Street. And, and you know how, as public companies, the street is pretty punishing and fairly short-term-minded. And we gave a three-year kind of a playbook that this is what you should hold us accountable uh, to financially, how we're going to execute this transformation. There are a lot of people who said, you're crazy to actually commit yourselves three years out when you don't even know whether your customers are actually going to be embracing this change. Your employees haven't fully really figured out how to do all the product transformation. But we felt, one, transparency was important. And then second, to give all the constituents, employees, customers, and shareholders, set of metrics that they can hold us accountable to. Uh, And then obviously we had to go deliver on it, but at least it took a whole bunch of ambiguity out of how to measure the risks of this kind of a transformation. Let's talk a little bit about uh, disruptive technologies. You've said whenever there are disruptive technologies, we tend to overestimate how quickly they will come to fruition, but we underestimate how profound they will be in the long run. I say the same thing, but I, I say it in a different way, which is minds are mature and markets are not. Right. So it just, you know, you think you're done and it takes a long time for the market to accept it. What is your all time favorite disruptive technology? That's question number one. And the second one, what is something that you think we're going through now where we think we are overestimating the impact today, but it will have a far more profound impact in the future? Yeah, no, that's first. I think your your version is far more succinct and better. So that that's uh, uh, and as much as I would like to take credit, the one you attributed to me is actually really, uh, there's a fellow who was at Stanford Research Institute, Roy Amara. So it's actually called Amara's Law. That's really his postulation that we tend to, in tech industry in particular, overestimate the hype curve in the short run, but underestimate long run. I'm going to give you two disruptive ones right now that I'm profoundly excited about. Uh, one that I'm a little bit closely involved in. And then one I'm a student of, but don't really have any depth in right now. We all live this right now. The echo chamber and noise around AI and machine learning and just the overall, the impact of that, there's so much noise and there's so much hype curve around what AI is and all the kind of the Terminator visions of the future or more optimistic visions of the future and curing cancer and self-driving cars. And so that's the overhype part of that curve relative to where the technology potential is right now. It's improving rapidly, uh, but certainly I do think there's a lot of hype around it. I actually think, Chet, the notion of the role of computers in human life enabled by AI and then also built around all the other underlying foundational things like massive cloud fabric around the globe or devices that are increasingly smarter. I think AI is going to be the connective tissue that fundamentally changes the role of computers. Computers used to be mostly computing, number crunching machines uh, that started in business environments. Over the last couple of decades, they have become increasingly indispensable to all of us with smartphones and stuff as communication machines. 
I think the thing that's going to be disruptive in my mind in the next decade or two decades or three decades is a profound shift where computers are going to be able to start seeing the world around us, understanding speech, understanding uh, audio, visual, image to the point where they will develop a human cognition-like capabilities. And once that happens, the roles that computers will play industry after industry in our daily life is going to go from just assistive tools that help us be more productive to far more integral. The one I'm actually intrigued about is what's happening at the intersection of biology and computing. And so that's kind of related to AI, but really more around all the advances with things like CRISPR and gene editing technologies. We all experience all the kind of with the vaccine uh, development over the last 18 months. Uh, But that's kind of the other one I'm equally excited. I'm not at all expert in that. But that's other one that I think is going to be very profound. I was just thinking as you were talking about AI, I was thinking exactly what you said, which is HTTP for me would be one of the biggest things, right? And I don't think anybody would have predicted how much of an impact it has had on our life, right? The the phone, social, the browser, just on and on and on, right? All those things would not have been possible without HTTP, right? Broken links were okay. And I think about, you know, what AI, right? I mean, even if you squint really hard and you think really hard, we have no idea how much our life will change because of it, right? So really well articulated. Thank you. On the personal side, you've co-authored two books about Java beans. What is the most difficult part about publishing a book? I know there are people who go through the gut-wrenching experiences I've heard from others of writing a book and the pain and the effort it takes. Uh, to be completely honest, Chet, I, I'm not even sure I would claim to have gone through that journey because the stage of the career when those two books I had a chance to contribute to, first of all, I was a co-author along with a few other folks. So I wasn't really kind of writing it myself. And I was probably way early in my career and partnering with some really smart folks who were much more seasoned. That said, I will say one thing that stuck with me from that experience is the power of actually getting your ideas to reach immensely large number of audiences. The power of platforms and power of scale uh, is actually the thing that I remember sticking with that journey is the effort and the pain it takes to articulate. Uh, And you have gone through that journey even in your business career, but you have to really be able to put yourself in the mindset of a wide range of people who are going to consume those ideas and be able to articulate what is it that's going to be most relevant to uh, that wide cross section of people who are going to read hopefully that book. Uh, And actually it does make you far more hopefully open-minded. One of the things I am very fond of is a kind of a, there's a word called shoshin and you probably it, it's a it's a buddhism word for beginner's mind and kind of maintaining yourself to be open minded about new ideas new experiences and how different people may perceive them um, I I think that journey for me started with those two books is really thinking about value and power of ideas and the dissemination at scale. That's a beautiful articulation, right? Because you cannot read your audience. So you have to make yourself vulnerable, right? (laughs) And have a beginner's mind as you go through this. That was awesome. That was a great, great, great response. Who inspires you? There are just so many people in our personal and professional lives who touch you day to day in different contexts. And as I have reflected on my own journey, what I've realized 
is especially as we have gone through the last 18 months, uh, certainly kind of the, the highly unusual and distorting journey that the world has experienced. It's not so much just who, uh, but what and how that inspires me. We have all experienced this. You look at what the frontline workers over the last 18 months across the globe have done and what the medical, like the, the pharma industry and the drug industry around that and a whole slew of unnamed people came together to solve a global crisis at such a vigorous pace. To me lately, it's whenever you see kind of this human spirit, either individual or collectively, achieve things that are just impossible to comprehend. When somebody makes a contribution and impacts society at large, it's the impact that they leave is probably the inspiring thing for me. I'm going to go through some rapid-fire, quick response questions now with you. So let me start with the first one. You are known to pursue landscape photography. What's the last picture you took? Lately, obviously, with everything going on, it's mostly pictures of my dog at home. But I think if I really think about the last landscape, like which is my absolute zen to go into, before COVID, I was at Rainier, Mount Rainier National Park uh, in Washington. At uh, sunrise, there is a beautiful spot there called Sunrise Lake. So that's really the last, what I would consider a worthy of mentioning as a landscape photography picture. What are you reading now? I do read concurrently lots of books. I'll just mention three quick ones. Uh, Code Breakers is the one I just finished, which is uh, unbelievable about great book. Um, Andy Weir's uh, Hail Mary, which is a Anywhere is the kind of science fiction writer, did Martian, the, the movie. Fabulous book. It's just unbelievable, his new book. And then I read uh, Reed's, uh, the Netflix Rules book, which is equally amazing in a different direction. I've got two out of the three. So that's great. There's some commonality there. Last question. What word or phrase defines a great leader in your mind? I'll give you three words. Humble, empathy, and curious. Abhay, this has been phenomenal. I have thoroughly enjoyed our podcast. I've actually taken a bunch of notes. It's it's always good. A large portion of this, all of this is actually for our listeners. But as we go through this ourselves, we learn, right? And uh, we observe. And this has been great. You're incredibly articulate and deeply, deeply thoughtful. I thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. And I hope you feel the same way. Yeah, no, Chait, first of all, thanks for all the kind words. Really enjoyed being here. And I actually want to thank you. I know you are doing this uh, as a way to, as you said, give back uh, in your way to the community and aspiring entrepreneurs and kind of, so really appreciate all the fascinating interviews you are doing and kind of thanks for uh, roping me in, giving me this opportunity. Hey, we'll uh, see you soon. Take care. Great, thanks. Most people's career paths are not a straight line. Remember to focus not only on the decisions you make, but also on the relationships you build along the way. When you're going through a major transformation, you have to think about your customers, employees, and shareholders. Having transparency across all constituencies is the key to success. And finally, always have a beginner's mind. Being open to new ideas, new experiences, and how different people may perceive them will help you keep growing. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Inspired Execution Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And drop us any questions or feedback at inspiredexecution at datastacks.com.